0: Welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Roberts, and each episode, I'm going to be bringing you insights on how to engage with the youth audience within marketing communications. I really hope you like it. Hello, welcome to episode seven. Now for the next three episodes, we're going to be talking all about parental influence on young people. What are the common misconceptions? How big an impact is the generational divide? And what I really wanted to know was, what should we be doing, if anything, when it comes to thinking of parents as influencers? So first up, I'm speaking with Simon Lucy from Hype Collective. Here's what he had to say. Hi Simon, thanks so much for coming on the Here It podcast today. Thanks for having me. So we're going to jump in and ask you a little bit uh, about yourself and kind of how what Hypercollective is all about and how you started it.
1: So Hypercollective, we've been going two and a half years. Uh, we're a student marketing agency, born out of the idea that if you actually use students in some way in your campaigns, uh, firstly you might run better campaigns, and secondly you create benefits for the young people that you're looking to target, which is. Uh, in my view, better than just paying uh, Facebook loads and loads of money. So that's that's kind of us. We uh, obviously, before March, used to run loads of events and things like that. Um, Since then, funnily enough, we do lots of different stuff. So uh, a lot of social campaigns. We work with Um, network of university sports teams and societies and influencers do quite a lot of research um, that sort of
0: thing. Talking of research you recently just launched some called Parents as Influencers in partnership with BringPod to um, better understand the role parents have in their children's careers and so I was just a bit interested in what you found on that.
1: Yeah it was uh, I guess I went into it with some kind of strong hypotheses about all parents, I guess, being slightly like my own, and mine were very standoffish, not involved. Um, my my parents still don't understand what I do for a job today. Um, same, same. And, and um, I think, like, it, there's loads more work to be done on this, but we we almost fragmented the audience into basically how much a parent kind of is involved, so on one axis, and then on the other axis, uh, how much they actually know. So you ha- might have a parent that is hyper-involved and also hyper-knowledgeable about careers information, and in a way, that's a really you know beneficial for a, thing for a young person to be having. You might also have a parent who is hyper-involved but doesn't really know uh, much about careers advice, and actually that can be highly detrimental. And actually, we, we were chatting to Cap Gemini, and they were saying that the number of parents that they see kind of fitting into that category and actually inhibiting the chances of young people is, is pretty scary. Um, and then on the other side of the line, you've got exactly the same with kind of less involved. And I guess it it, it doesn't matter so much if they're kind of highly informed or uninformed, if they're, if they're not involved. And then some kind of interesting quirks on, Actually, young people were taking salary far more importantly than parents, which kind of surprised me. I thought that parents would be the one saying, "Just get a job that pays the bills and all that." But um, actually, parents were more ambitious than I um, than I thought. Sort of gave them credit for. So, in terms of wanting a job that uh, made their made their kids really happy, that was obviously the most important thing to them. Was I think kids were a little bit more pragmatic.
0: Yeah, it's interesting actually because you talk about uh, in the report about this knowledge gap in the in the perception of parents thinking young people want this of social media um yeah. influencer career and I think that's quite common in media generally like we'll talk a little bit more about this kind of misconception uh more broadly but that actually younger audiences that you found that do still want those traditional careers so there's this kind of knowledge gap this kind of gap between parents and young people this perception yeah. myth I guess um, and that, I thought that was really interesting on that do you think that there is that pressure because you see at university recruitment a lot of the time mm-hmm. around money and career path and I think um, the media sort of hype up this that, that young people are sort of snowflakes and want this kind of influence their career. Like, you, what, what's the, what's the problem there?
1: I mean, firstly, I think it's massively overemphasised because the people writing those stories are people that work in the media, and as a result, are all people that you know wanted to become journalists, wanted to be creative. I think that's a certain type of person that wants to go to work in the media. You don't get stories written about young people's career aspirations written by engineers so I think yeah it's, it's, it's massively skewed by the people that are writing it um, and so I think you know young people are pretty pragmatic and um, in terms of what they want they want you know something that's a level of stability um, they don't want a job for life that's obviously pretty scary but um, a level of stability and security certainly a level of salary Uh, and then to feel like you know their job has purpose and whatever that is I remember this was for a previous research project but we were doing a focus group about careers and one of the um there's a university student who had a placement at one of the big oil and gas companies and I said to I asked her I was like have you ever kind of thought about the morals of going to work for one of these big oil and gas companies. Um and she's she said, actually not really. It kind of that's it's detracted from me. Like as long as they treat me well and the people that I care about well, um, I can then in the in the evening go off and kind of campaign about global right you know, climate change and things like that. It's not all about where you earn your money isn't related to your work, your life you, you at all times, basically.
0: That's an interesting point. I mean, I guess one thing I found really reassuring, I suppose it's an an interesting angle to think about if you're working in marketing comms aimed at young people, is that parents are still big influencers. From a marketing perspective, like how important is it that, you know, particularly in student recruitment, that you're thinking about that parental audience? I,
1: I think it's um I think it's vital. I have no um this is entirely hypotheses. So um uh, this is This hasn't come out of the research, and definitely isn't. Take, don't take this as science, but I think it's a diversity and inclusion issue. Um, I think that uh, not all parents are involved equally, and I think there's patterns within certain demographics. And I think I'd love to basically map out that kind of quad that I talked about of kind of involvement in the career, and then overlay that on you know social mobility. Um, ethnicity and things like that because I don't think it would be kind of equal for all and so I think I think if you care about social mobility properly then you probably need to think about uh, what the parents are thinking and the concerns that parents might have and I guess parents from a lower social economic background might have different concerns to uh, like more affluent parents Um, and it's almost a position of privilege to i guess not worry too much about the money
0: that's a really interesting point like parents are influences it's on a scale isn't it so if you're they're less engaged generally why is that and how do you approach that conversation particularly if it's you know first in family and they've got no preconceived idea of what university is going to offer like yeah that's quite a challenging one isn't it
1: and it's, it's pretty intimidating to go along to if you're i guess if you're a parent that hasn't been to university these open days are quite like i went along to a open day with the Like my brother-in-law, and it's 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 a it's quite a formal, strange thing that is unlike most of your day-to-day if you've never been to university. Um, So I think it's quite a. I don't think people spend much time thinking about the experience of parents where like you know who haven't been to university and this whole world is quite alien. Rock up on campus. There's a lot of you know a lot of people that look very similar, and I think it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's a very difficult challenge, isn't it?
0: But that whole idea around enjoying your work and being happy, like I think the pre- preconceived idea, I guess, from a young person's perspective is my parents are going to want me to earn and be in a certain career path. And actually, from a parent's perspective, it was around them being happy yeah. as well. And that, that for me, from it was an interesting take on it, that I think there's probably preconceived ideas from a youth angle and a parent angle.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I think it's probably not something that, um, parents are particularly good at talking to their kids about as a whole. I think uh, a lot of kids will have assumptions that their parents are pressurising them into certain spaces or disapprove of certain careers when actually maybe, you know, there's certainly parents that do disapprove of certain careers, but um, as a whole, I think they're probably a little bit more open-minded than, than than we give them credit for.
0: Data from the report I did in the past two years has shown this growing generational divide across a whole well, for things from like Brexit to uh, attitude towards climate change um, and I think we'll see that again in terms of you know moving out of the pandemic and there's a growing pressure around you know young people not trusting older people to get things done you've talked quite a lot um, and a little plug for your TED talk here around uh, this ge- generational divide and this yeah. misconception on youth and um, tell us a bit more about that kind of take on things
1: I think it's fascinating. I, I went to a um, conference organized for economists by um, the Resolution Foundation, who, um, if you're interested in this, they produce so much content on it. I highly recommend checking them out. And um, it was a day where, in all honesty, I understood about 30% of what was going on. Um, <laughs> and at the end, I turned around and they're all you know, 60-year-old male, white economists and uh we're all having a cup of coffee or, and uh I, I asked them, have I kind of understood this right? Like young people by all your metrics seem absolutely screwed. And uh all this bunch of sixty-year-old white men all nodded perfectly in agreement. And yeah, I just think it's there's there's whether you're predicting, you know, how someone will vote, their attitudes to the climate, um, towards right the easiest way to predict it now is age not anything else it always used to be class um but now it's age which i think sets up society in a very different way and young people now are getting information in different ways to um to older people it means that there's like this entire world that you know older people don't even see like i just love the fact that you know young people are crashing Trump's rallies and, and you know, his his advisors didn't even have him know about it, that every single ticket had been bought by a fake person. Like, <laughs> I just, I absolutely love it. And I think it's it's amazing. But I do think, you know, these stereotypes that we peddle about younger people, like, I, you know, I talk about them a lot in my TED talk. And the one that I particularly love, which is for the graduate recruiters that are listening, is I think there's an assumption that today's young people are more flighty and more likely to leave a job um, if they don't like it. Now, if you compare a 20-year-old to a 50-year-old, that's definitely true. Um, A 50-year-old is obviously more settled. They've probably lived in that city for a while where they are. They've probably got a family. They've got a mortgage. They've worked in that industry for a long time. They know where they like it. A 20-year-old is much more likely to change jobs. But if you compare the 20-year-old to that 50-year-old when they were 20, so 30 years ago, today's 20-year-olds are much less likely to change jobs. They're much more likely to stay in jobs that they're up that they don't enjoy, and this was before COVID. So I'm sure COVID has only made this worse. And some people go, okay, well, why does that really matter? Well, if you stay in your job, then you, on average, you get like a two percent pay rise per year. If you change job you're likely to get a seven percent pay rise per year so it's actually costing young people this stereotype that you know that they're fluffy and they're not tough enough to to stay in jobs um they're staying in jobs longer than they should uh in jobs that they don't like and, and it's costing them money
0: when it comes to age you can't can't truly really compare age groups it's this it's this misconception around well young people are so connected online yet mm-hmm. young people are the most lonely compared to all generations and actually particularly during COVID have been demonstrated to be lonely than a lot of older generations when you're looking at generations it's quite dangerous isn't it to compare
1: I uh, my, my um sort of related to that my my the thing that I'm fascinated with this week is um like escapism um for young people so that I, I think generally speaking if you say if you start a sentence with young people are more x you're normally wrong but and here I go again I do think Escapism and like downtime is different. I'm 32, very much the generation of binge drinkers. So like when I was 18, it was just going out and getting as pissed as possible with your mates, and that was that was it. That was escapism for us. Now with a very different world, of much more interconnected, I genuinely think, and I again, you know, we don't have the data to prove this, but I, I'd be genuinely fascinated to see if there's a decline in the amount of downtime that young people have and the amount of escapism um, and I feel like the world feels quite heavy for a lot of them you know I asked we've got a guy in our team called Josh who's fantastic and he's 21 and I asked him you know what do you do for escapism and he was like I don't even really know what that is.
0: It's at risk of being on uh, 24-7 I mean I think yeah. Ofcom's report this year and I'm, again I, the stuff that I'm seeing from from lockdown is kind of scary but the amount of young people that have a phone is, you know, over 90% when they get to kind of 12, 13. Yeah. Um, but the amount of young people that are allowed to take that phone to their bed, uh, bedroom and go to, to bed with their phone, yeah. line, i.e. contactable on social media, looking at these world kind of news and, and this pressure is kind of 75% for 12 year olds. And yeah. I just thought, gosh, that's a really terrifying thought that they're, they're never, like you're saying, never really escaping. That's quite, I think that's a really good point. It's quite worrying.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, we talk a lot about mental health for young people and obviously the solution isn't them going to the pub and getting as pissed as possible like we did. Um, I think that's a better way. Um, But, um, yeah, that discovering of how you create escapism in a fully digital world and what that looks like.
0: For marketing and comms people to think about, like if you're bombarding them with lots of emails and lots of content all the time, like young people, it's too much. So I think Mm -hmm. it's looking at that from their perspective, not just I've got all these messages I want to tell them all the time. Um, It's how can you make their life better through what you're telling them.
1: One thing that um, we did recently, which I really liked, was... Because I think there's so much content, as you said, there's delusion, it's pretty intimidating. Um, we've started, rather than you know, trying to get people to sign up to a database and receive emails and sign into more content, is creating kind of short flows of information. So maybe you sign up to a, a mailer, which is five emails, and out of that you will get X, Y, and Z. And from a marketing point of view, you get way more, way better engagement rate. Um, way better sign up rate, your cost per sign up is, is way lower. And for the young person I feel like they're you're opting into something that's bite size and ultimately if if I'm consuming five emails from your university employer brand properly and I still don't think it's for me, then I think it's probably about time we stop by emailing you anyway. And I've I found that it works well for the brand because it's just every every kind of engagement metric comes down
0: the data in the crm process is actually quite common sense if you think about well actually this young person needs to hear from us in this phase and if they sign up for the next one great if not they've probably chosen someone else anyway okay and just before you go i'm asking everybody about a campaign or a brand that you think does a really good job at engaging either children or young people and any podcasts or newsletters or email and things that go around that you think are really worth checking out.
1: I've got a confession. I don't listen to. I, I'm on a work podcast, but I don't listen to any work podcasts. This is terrible, isn't it? Um, <laughs> until now,
0: obviously. Until you're now, be an now, avid check out yours. <laughs>
1: it's, um, I'm very much a um, podcast for me is is uh, my, maybe my downtime. Um, the guys that I do like is um, and we work with them um, a bit on a few different projects. Is uh, Creative Rebels? Um, I don't know if you've yeah. come up. Uh, uh and they've got so they i mean there's such a catalog that you can go through and just filter out like the guests that you're interested in and they've got some you know, so so many amazing people so i'd probably say um that was my shout out and then it was a campaign so yeah i think the brand that stands out to me um and it's quite an interesting challenge is uh defected which is a house music label um house music is now sort of Seem to be a bunch of 40 year old white men that used to go to Ibiza all the time. Um, and it's <laughs> so de- sad. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it, you feel very old. <laughs> uh, no, and defected kind of very much of that. Like, I guess people like me will have been to defected nights, maybe in Ibiza or, or in the UK, and, and have experienced that. But it's not something, you know, talking about that escapism earlier that's translated down. But uh, within, uh, well, actually, before lockdown was formally announced. They moved their gigs online and every Friday night had um, virtual gigs in shot in Ministry of Sound. And then after that, they were actually just shot in DJ's homes. Uh, and they had like, you know, five million viewers all at once. And it opened it up to like a much, much wider audience than have ever thought of attending a defected night. And they got to a much younger, broader audience um and them would traditionally go to kind of one of their nights or festivals so i think an amazing way of using covid as a kind of opportunity to broaden your audience
0: definitely that's a really good example thank you well thanks so much for your time today
1: cool thanks for having me really really enjoyed it
0: so that's it episode seven is done a huge thanks to Simon for being a great guest there if you like this episode please like share and subscribe and don't forget to um, go and follow Hype Collective's website and social media because they share lots of useful insights so next up we've got Nick Richardson from the Insights People talking about their global picture on children's habits